Stuff Podcasts. Hey, hey, content warning time. This podcast contains sex and swearing, and this episode explores ethical non-monogamy, swinging and polyamory, that kind of stuff. Some names have also been changed, and this podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air. It's a goodie, so enjoy. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Kia ora and welcome back to The Good Sex Project, a podcast about good sex, good relationships and how to have them, hosted by me, Melody Thomas. In the last episode, we explored long-term relationships. We blew apart the happily ever after myth and came to settle on something closer to happy-ish ever after, or mostly happy for as long as we can make it work. And we came back to the idea that we often come back to, that no one thing works for everyone. Getting coupled up forever after might be your jam, but you might prefer the single life. Of course, in the grand pick-a-path of life, a single person and monogamous couple aren't actually your only options. And in this episode, we're going to hear about some others. Sometimes you need breathers in these parties because it gets really hot and going. So drinks breaks are encouraged. You know, I'm asking myself, what do I want? What am I looking for? Well, it turned out to be freedom. Welcome to The Good Sex Project, Episode 7, My Wife Will Like You. I think it should be a conversation. And monogamy works for most couples. It should still be a choice that couple makes. If you've been listening to the series since the beginning, you'll know this voice already. But you might just know it because it belongs to somebody super famous in the world of sex and relationships. Dan Savage is a cis gay man who's been giving sex and love advice for nearly 30 years through his columns and his podcast, The Savage Lovecast. In all of that time, one of the biggest changes that he's seen is that more straight couples are deciding to explore options that aren't monogamy. Which I think is great. I don't think monogamy should be a default setting. In this episode, we're going to hear a few stories from people going about their relationships in different ways, but all of them fit under the umbrella term ethical non-monogamy. At its most basic level, ethical non-monogamy is the practice of taking part in romantic relationships that aren't completely exclusive between the two people, and doing it in an above-board and super well-communicated way. And a lot of different relationship styles fit under this umbrella. We're not going to hear about every one of them because we would need a lot more time. But there's a few, some of which you might never have heard of, like relationship anarchy and polyfidelity, as well as others which are more common, like polyamory and swinging. Hi, I'm Ella. I'm Adam. We're in our late 20s and we're swingers. And we are married, yes. We've been married a year now. Coming up two years. Oh, that's right, yeah. You may already know about swinging, but if not, 
swingers hook up with people outside of their relationship, and they usually do this together. It's generally more about sex and not really about love. Older listeners might think of key parties, where the men throw their hotel or car keys in a bowl and whichever the women pick out, that's their partner for the night. Younger people might imagine a couple eyeing them from across the bar, like, my boyfriend and I really like your vibe. But whatever you're picturing, it's probably not this. We're having our first child at the moment, so we're taking a break just because I'm pregnant. (laughs) Once baby's here... As soon as we're up and running again, I think we'll go back into it because oh, definitely. you do like, you do kind of miss it and it is a sense of who you are. We will definitely get back into it. Like I still am part of the group chats and the community, having yarns with people and talking to people and keeping up with them. So yeah, I kind of, it's more like missing friends. Yeah. Adam and Ella are in their late 20s. They've been together for about eight years and they've been swinging for a lot of that. So they were in their early 20s when they started. And they're here to clear up some misconceptions about what people in the know call the lifestyle. Oh my God. A lot of people think it's the keys in the bowl, and it is not the keys in the bowl. Definitely, there's no keys, no bowls. (laughs) There's bowls of punch. Now, we are going to get into some of the details about how this couple does swinging, but I think it's important that we hear a bit of their backstory first because it actually goes a long way to explaining how they ended up in the lifestyle. So we met at a club, and yeah, we pretty much met 3am and... Last call, lights come on, so I was like, shit, better get her number, and didn't know her name for a week. All I had was club chick. Oh, so you were his club chick. (laughs) Yeah, and look at us now, so... It was actually my first night ever out clubbing. Yeah, Ella grew up in a pretty sheltered household. No, I'd never really been in a relationship at all. I wasn't even really allowed to go out to parties without my parents knowing exactly who was going to be there. And when she met Adam, she'd only just started spreading her wings. Pretty much went to uni. Had a little fling and then met you not that long after. But Adam's upbringing was pretty different from Ella's. My upbringing was very free range. I could pretty much nearly do whatever I wanted as long as I was open and honest with my parents. Yeah, my mother is very open with sexuality and throughout my whole upbringing, she was a nudist. Remember my first time going to your house and your mum walked out of the shower naked and I was like, oh shit, move around. You're not the first girlfriend my mother's (laughs) just walked out naked and you're like, mum, this is my new girlfriend. So it might not be surprising that compared to Ella, Adam had a few experiences under his belt. I was used to girls coming and going. You didn't really have a great track record for staying with a girl for very long. No, I certainly didn't think I'd last either. But. No, they didn't. My sister once said, every time she sees me, I'm with a different girl. So there was no point in meeting any of them. But that all changed on that fateful night at the club. Because after they'd hung out a bit more, Adam and Ella realised they were really into each other. And despite living in different cities, they made it work. Pretty much every weekend I would come see you and... Yeah, I'd get a hotel room and... The first six months where you pretty much just met up on the weekends and then I moved in. Adam and Ella are really great together and they could feel that potential right at the beginning. But in a lot of ways, the timing wasn't very good. Ella had only just started to figure out what she was into, away from her restrictive upbringing. I didn't feel like I'd had the opportunity to explore my sexuality myself. Didn't really have probably my first experiences until I was about 17. And that was actually with girls, not guys. Yeah, I didn't pretty much know anything about what I wanted or liked or enjoyed or anything. That's kind of just been part of the journey. So she mentioned to Adam, have you ever thought about exploring things outside of the relationship? And he was surprisingly chill about it. 
Like it wasn't shunned of like, nah, that's it now. This is what you've got. Yeah, I'm not really the jealous type to say, no, I'm yours only. You can only have me. I was just like, oh, well, I've never had a girlfriend that really wants to try other people. And so I was like, oh, well, my philosophy is it's like if you're attracted to someone, then with consent, try it out. Yeah, we're kind of just open about sexuality being something that you can explore but still explore together and stuff from the get-go. For the first couple of years, Adam and Ella were mostly monogamous, but with space for the occasional adventure. It wasn't really swinging at the time. No, it, it wasn't was just really swinging. Exploring. It was all just things that kind of happened organically at parties or Drunk drunken night nights or going back home and friends and stuff. You know, friends staying over and then just drunkenly hooking up with them. And rather than driving them apart, we always felt a sense of deeper connection with one another because you had these massive big open conversations about how you felt and what happened and it's kind of like because you're exploring it together you shared that excitement and that journey and so then I don't know it just kind of brought you closer and we always enjoyed those experiences but never knew how to Get more. actually do it intentionally. The answer of course was the internet or specifically the website kiwiswingers.co.nz which was a proper site that had everybody on it so it was yeah, quite big. Actually. Swinging is still a pretty big thing around the world. While making this series, we've heard about swinging cruises and resort takeovers. Here in Aotearoa, kiwiswingers.co.nz boasts more than 150,000 members on its homepage. But a whole lot of those profiles are inactive, so maybe people who have made a profile out of curiosity but haven't used it yet, or, I don't know, sex podcasters who signed up to have a poke around and couldn't figure out how to delete their account. At the time of recording, as winter is kicking off, there are 15,000 active profiles. And a lot of those are couples, so it's more than 15,000 people. But those numbers fluctuate. They're especially big over summer, which makes sense. And there's a huge variety of people of all ages, backgrounds and professions on there. Yeah, you've got doctors, lawyers, tradies and builders, mm. people working in retail and whatnot. And there's no judgment of what you do for a living. So Adam and Ella set up a profile. They uploaded a few pictures, and by the way, a lot of people just stick to body shots for anonymity, and then they trade face pics later. And then they started messaging people that they liked the look of. Some swingers will meet up with another couple, one-on-one, they call it, even though it's technically two-on-two, and then have a drink or dinner and see if the vibe's right. But that can be quite hard to match all four personalities, attractiveness and personality types together. So Adam and Ella favour a different approach. I probably prefer the parties and stuff more because there's lots of people. If you've never been to a swingers party, like me, maybe you find the idea exciting or terrifying or probably both. And that's how Adam and Ella felt for their first one. That's normal. But there's actually a bit that happens before the party to ease you into things. A week out, we'll, we'll make a chat group of everyone going to the party and so you introduce yourself and go through the profiles, look through profiles, who are you attracted to, send off private messages to them. And in this relationship, Adam's the admin guy. But he knows what Ella likes. And he's not afraid to admit that he knows a hot guy when he sees one. So you like, you know each other's kind of types. types. Or... And the, our types aren't each other. We're married and in love and together, but our sexual, what we find attractive is very different. 
After the messaging and before the party, there's also a non-sexual icebreaker, a lot of the time anyway. This might be dinner or drinks with the whole group or just some of the group split off to hang out. We went down to Wellington once and there was a meet at a bar beforehand and it was just the guys and it was the same time as what, a rugby game or something? Yeah, a rugby game and there's a whole group of us swingers men going there for a beer to meet up. And then a whole heap of older farmers looking at the group and being like, what are they all here for? Yeah, these nicely dressed men... Like you dress to please, you go to these like black tie and shirts and everything, dress to Maybe please. Dress shirts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, we stood out. After all of this, the messaging and the meetups, if you're still curious and you've talked with each other and both of you are still super keen to give it a go, you head to the party. You're walking into like a house or a hotel room. One of the house parties, there was about 60 people. Yeah, you don't come late to a swingers party if you're a newbie. It can be a bit overwhelming, oh, I guess. it can be very overwhelming and shocking. The door opening to a half-naked, fully-naked person going, hey, are you on the list? If you're lucky, though, there'll be someone like Adam there. Because you're often one of the ones where if there's new people, you will be the one oh, to go oh. out and talk to them through it, so explain things and stuff. So you don't just leave people off to the side, unsure what's going on sort of thing. People will normally come up and actually talk to you and be like, hey, not necessarily in a sexual way, but in a... Just a normal person talking, like, hey, how's it going? Who are you? How did you get into this lifestyle? And what's your views? What's your opinions? I may be half naked, but I'm still talking to you like a normal person. Mm. So Adam's the icebreaker catching up with mates and welcoming the newbies. Where's Ella? You are normally the first naked. Like, everyone else be drinks giving a good time, listening to music, mingling, and then all of a sudden, Ella's coming out, oh, tits out and all. I'm normally, I guess, a little bit more introverted, except for in those situations, because it's a very... Very introverted pre-game. Yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know, it's just such an open, accepting community that you just instantly kind of feel comfortable. Adam tells me about this one time where he was sitting on the couch chatting with a newbie when half-naked Ella walked past, leading somebody that she'd found out of the room. She walked up and like, who's that? And I was like, oh, that's just my wife. <laughs> and they're like, are you going to go? And I'm like, no, she's fine. For Adam and Ella, this is all good. They don't really mind about going off on their own at a party. But different people have different rules. There's varying levels within people's own experiences and preferences and I guess that's your own boundaries and stuff too that is important to talk about from the get-go and something we talked about but we have I guess a very trusting relationship and know that the next day we'll always come back and talk to one another and we still check on each other throughout the night but we don't feel the need to be by each other's sides whereas other people like the security of being able to have same room play or being next to each other or... Watching their partner. Yeah, watching their partner. That's another thing that other people are into. We're not really into that. Maybe this is just a sign of the amount of time I've spent in Sexland, but I find Adam and Ella's story weirdly wholesome. How they started off swinging because they were falling in love, but she had only just started to explore her sexuality. The image of Adam putting in all that effort to make sure the newbies feel welcome and all the other ways that people in the lifestyle sound like they really look out for each other. We're not yeah. going to like leave anyone. If you're sitting off in the corner, then we'll come in, check on you. Like They're just taking a break, having a breather because you need... Sometimes, br- Sometimes you need breathers in these parties because it gets really <laughs> hot and going. So drinks breaks are encouraged. 
I sometimes get water brought to me, which is really lovely. Yeah. People are very <laughs> lovely. Like you might be having sex on a bed and there's people like watching and voyages and people just watching and people like to be watched. And then you'd be like, would you guys like some water and drink like, or anything? Yep. Have a cracker. Mm. <laughs> no, vo- food in the bed is not the best option. No one wants to be fucking on a cracker. <laughs> It's true. I reckon we can all agree no one wants to fuck on a cracker. Sorry if that's kink shaming. What I love most about how these two describe these parties is how they sound so much like a regular party. There's drinks and snacks and, you know, lots of catching up. You've got a lot of people that are normally still mingling in the kitchen. It's just that in the other rooms, a bunch of people are boning. There is multiple rooms. There are multiple rooms. There's normally like, I'd say normally at least five. Four or five rooms, yeah. yeah. And there's... Not always just one bed in the room. There's one with bunk beds, which is interesting. Yeah, in case you missed it, she said bunk beds. Not not as fun as it sounds. (laughs) Do you want to relive some teenage trauma? So being younger, I'm guessing that means that you're both open to playing with older people. Our age group is young 20s to around 40. Yeah, under 45. But if there's like someone who's like 48 and there are some really hot old people out there. When you're actually at these things, age doesn't even really come into it too much. You just kind of actually talk to them and get along. Half the time I would have no idea how old these people are. There's been a few people that we've been with and you would think they're in their early 20s, but they're not in their early 20s. They just look amazing. Swingers keep themselves fit and looking good. When you're naked pretty much a whole night around other people, you want to look good. But then then in saying that as well, the other thing I find amazing about this lifestyle is that... There is no body shaming or anything, and oh, no. you will literally see all different types and sizes and everything. And no matter what you look like, the girls are all going to be like, "Oh, you look amazing! I love that lingerie sort of thing." And it's no cattiness to it or anything. It's no, just it's... literally you all lift up each other's body confidence. You, it, yeah, it's given. I think both of us a lot of self confidence in our bodies. A lot of swingers parties have themes, and people will go all out with their costumes. Swingers are. Awesome at dressing up. Everyone says, oh, Halloween parties are hassle to do. To swingers, holy crap, that's amazing. Mm. How sexy can I be in an outfit but put a trench coat over the top of it for the Uber ride over? I often end up losing my clothes, so I do end up walking around naked most of the time. You have to remember to make piles as well. That's probably a big thing. Put your clothes in one spot. (laughs) So your husband at the end of the night has to co-find all that (laughs) shoes stockings. It's a lot of accessories. Go with as minimal stuff as you can. Or you do what I do, just wear my underwear on my ankle or my wrist. It's always on me. (laughs) At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned a few relationship models that sit under that ethical non-monogamy umbrella. Some of them, like swinging and open relationships, are about an established couple who decide to explore sexual connections with other people. Others, like polyamory, allow for a variety of sexual and romantic connections. But what every single one of them has in common is the ethical part. No matter what the arrangement, it's only ethical non-monogamy if everyone involved is fully aware what's going on, absolutely enthusiastically excited, and of course 100% consenting. Consent, wear protection, don't be a dick. And clean up after yourself. And clean up after yourself. It all comes back to your own relationship of still trust and communication and you're doing this together. You're not single in this. You're actually still a unit. So if something does happen, you've got someone to talk to about it all, explore your feelings and stuff. And, like, we have had experiences at parties and stuff where there's been other couples who've had, 
I guess, issues. Miscommunications. So that is a really, really big important part is to communicate everything as soon as you can, go through stuff. And if something does pop up and you're not feeling it, pull them away immediately. Don't let the feelings keep festering and festering and then it just snaps sort of thing. You actually have to address it as soon as something comes up. It's like even in our experience, we've had our ups and downs. Like It's not all hairy fairies and... Amazingly fireworks. Hairy fairies. Hairy fairies? <laughs> I don't know. I love that. No, I want it to be a new thing. It's not all hairy fairies. <laughs> Fucking great. We're going to come back to Adam and Ella, and we are going to hear more about how ethical non-monogamy isn't all hairy fairies. But first, we're going to meet one other person, someone who thought monogamy was the only option right up until their 50s when they discovered polyamory. That's after the break. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of Felix Donnelly. He was a progressive Catholic priest in the 70s. And I remember him being on a TV, I think he was interviewed by Ian Fraser one night. This is Todd. And I remember them having a conversation about... Fathers and sons should talk more about masturbation. And there's me, my two older brothers, my father. Like, you could hear a pin drop, honestly. It was like the most intense television moment of my life. (laughs) And it didn't segue into a conversation about masturbation. (laughs) Did not segue into a conversation about wanking. (laughs) Oh, is it okay? You can say wanking. I can say wanking. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Todd works in the arts. He's in his 50s, lives in West Auckland now, but grew up in Rimuera. It is a privileged environment. It was a well-provided upbringing, although at the same time, my parents are communists and atheists, so I always felt slightly unusual, yeah. So he had pretty liberal folks, but when it came to sex and sexuality... (laughs) Nothing. Nada. Which is ironic because my mother worked at National Women's Hospital. There was one thing she said that I think is the best thing for any 14-year-old boy to hear, which is that no man ever died from an unrelieved erection. And, you know, I sat there chowing into my mashed potatoes. I shut up on that one. It's like, oh, my God, she's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love her. 
could have actually done with that and tell myself as a 16-year-old being faced with a boy crying about blue balls. Anyway, in terms of gender roles, in his parents' relationship, things sound pretty standard for the time. Yeah, he's got a very assertive personality and my mother has a very accommodating personality and how often does that get replicated in all the houses across all the suburbs? You know, a distressingly large amount. It's a terrible dynamic. Why do you think your mother's influence wasn't so front of mind for, is it just like... Patriarchy. Yeah. (laughs) Fast forward to adulthood and Todd was all grown up with a wife and two kids. But 15 years in, the marriage was struggling. You know what happened? I'm so proud of it. We knew that we weren't getting on and we had got on in the past. There there were no other people involved or anything like that, no infidelity. And we went to therapy, which of course is a privilege. And over a period of weeks and months, we decided that, well, the one thing that mattered was to improve our relationship and that anything else didn't matter as much as that. So that included the prospect of breaking up. And, And then we did. She sort of drove that, made some very courageous decisions. Everyone's okay. Everyone's fine. On the whole, (laughs) you know, as fine as anyone can be. We certainly get on better now than we did. When we talk about breakups and divorce, we often talk about how the marriage failed. But Todd doesn't see it that way. I don't think it did fail. I think it was was a fantastic marriage. I, I don't believe breaking up's a problem. I think it's a solution. So this is how Todd found himself single in his 50s, facing a whole new dating landscape with apps and practices and lingo that was all totally unfamiliar. And, you know, I'm asking myself, what do I want? What am I looking for? Todd knew that he wanted physical intimacy. He really missed it. But there was something else that he wanted and he couldn't quite put his finger on it for a while. And then it hit him. Well, it turned out to be freedom. And those were... Two things that had never really gone together for me. To me, sexual intimacy was all about dedication and commitment. So I felt sort of awkward about it. I was like, hang on, if I meet someone and we have like an intimate connection, then, and and I sort of had this thing in my head about, but I still want something that looks a bit like freedom. How, How can that work for someone else? And then right on cue, Todd met someone who was polyamorous. And it was like, oh, <laughs> right. There's other normals. Yeah. So that was a great, great awareness raising moment in my life. Polyamory is the practice of having open, intimate, or romantic relationships with more than one person at the same time. So where swinging and open relationships are more about sexual freedom, polyamory allows for loving more than one person simultaneously. The word polyamory combines the Greek word for many, poly, with the Latin for love, amor, so many loves. Some poly couples will label their relationships as primary or secondary. You know, there's an awful lot of jargon amongst the ethical non-monogamy community. Oh my God, and it used to piss me off in large amounts. But the, the relationship anarchy model has a certain beauty to it. The idea that we don't prioritize unduly any one kind of relationship over any other kind. So I really try very hard not to 
be hierarchical about them. For Todd, this is what polyamory looks like in his everyday life. The polycule. Okay, so um, I met this polyamorous woman fairly soon out of my marriage, and we have a close friendship, a close connection. Um, We see each other about once a month. We live in different cities. And that person is a bit more active than I am. He means actively dating, not like going to the gym more. So that's a very stable relationship. I have another more recent sexual relationship with another woman, and she lives in Auckland, and we see each other sort of weekly, I guess. That's quite new and really good. One of my romantic partners I have an asexual connection with, so we are in love, I think it would be fair to say, and and we sleep together and we cuddle together and that's it. Like, it's amazing. I was bothered at first. Hang on, if we're not having sex, then what is the... All right! <laughs> There's more to the relationship than sex. Yeah, 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 no, I know that, I know that. And so having someone in my life who I can say I'm in love with and we can hold each other all night long. I was looking for intimacy, right? You know, boy, that's that's really intimate. Inevitably, when you talk to monogamous people about ethical non-monogamy, there's a few common reactions. One is, oh, I couldn't handle the jealousy. Because, of course, ethically non-monogamous people feel jealousy. But so do monogamous people. It's just that ethically non-monogamous people treat the jealousy more as a lesson, something to grow through and understand the root cause of, rather than something to ignore or stamp out. There's nothing like getting face-to-face with your own jealousy like your first polyamorous relationship. (laughs) Yeah, uh, there were some ding-dong arguments there. And how do you know what to share? People talk about don't ask, don't tell, and that didn't really work for us because we spoke so much all the time. It was hard to not know when she was with someone else. So we came up with this idea, which is ask anything you like. So let the person who's receiving that information dictate what it is they want to hear. Ask anything you like, but if you don't like the answer, don't ask the question. So it means that if you're going to ask a sensitive question, just be ready for whatever's coming, and that works really well. And it gives them a certain responsibility to not fly off the handle unwarrantedly. Would you have described yourself in previous relationships as a jealous or insecure person? (laughs) I would describe myself now as a jealous and rather obsessive lover, yeah. And so identifying that been you know, very, very humbling and very influential. Another fear for monogamous people when it comes to opening up a relationship is what if they fall in love with somebody else? Well, this happens to people in monogamous relationships fairly often. And there are even studies that suggest monogamy can make your relationship less secure. There's been gay marriage for 20 plus years in the Netherlands. We're back with Dan Savage. And so we're finally starting to get these studies done comparing gay male marriages, lesbian marriages, and heterosexual marriages. And it's interesting that gay male 
couples rumored to you know our relationships are unstable and blah 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 and we're flighty and we have a million sex partners but what that dutch study seems to show which you might find surprising is that gay men who marry are much less likely to get divorced than lesbians and a little less likely to get divorced than straight couples gay male relationships are the most stable also the least likely to be monogamous monogamy correlates very strongly with relationship instability so maybe gay men are doing something right Even if you and your loved one are strictly monogamous and never plan to open your relationship up in the slightest, you're still going to feel complicated feelings when your partner checks out somebody else, gets close to another person at work, or watches pornography, which is why Dan Savage says this. I think everyone should embrace allowing their partners a zone of erotic autonomy, even if it's a monogamous relationship. Your partner isn't always going to masturbate about you, and that's good for you. That's good for your relationship. Um, and you have to allow that for them. The way people will want to control their partners, thoughts, fantasies, as if they own them sexually. Even as you fantasize about whatever you fantasize about, you know that your brain goes where it goes and dirty thoughts are what they are. You regard any independent erotic thought that your partner has or impulse or experience, solo experience, as a threat. You have to make space for that in your relationship, whether you're monogamous or open. In her book, Mating in Captivity, the author and psychotherapist Esther Perel talks about how the struggles that many monogamous couples face in relationships are because of competing and kind of opposing needs. On the one hand, the need to feel safe and secure. On the other hand, the need for freedom and adventure. It's hard to generate excitement, anticipation and lust with the same person you look to for safety and stability, she says. But it's not impossible. There's a body of research that supports this, that one of the things that correlates very strongly with a successful long-term relationship, separate vacations, separate friends, individual experiences, that the partner goes out there into the world and does something, comes back to you. And, you know, an example from my own relationship, Terry likes to go out dancing and to go to clubs. I do not. The way most couples would resolve that conflict is Terry does not go out dancing anymore and stays home with me. The way we resolved it, Terry goes out dancing and then comes home and tells me about it. Tells me who he saw, if there's anybody there that I knew, how, you know, if there are any cute guys there, if he made out with somebody on the dance floor, which for us is totally fine in the relationship. And I didn't, he doesn't look at me and see the reason he can't go out to the clubs, right? And I don't look at him feeling guilty that he doesn't get to do this thing that he enjoys anymore that I don't enjoy. Terry likes to go to fucking Coachella, which is this massive concert in Palm Springs. I would rather be thrown into a fucking pit of razor blades and go to Coachella. He doesn't make me go. I don't make him not go. And people do this insane thing in a relationship where they, everything that is unfamiliar and strange or uncomfortable about their partner, they want to hammer out so their partner's a perfect fit. And then their partner's boring. And you made them boring. And then you complain about them being boring. We're not saying that we should outlaw monogamy and that ethical non-monogamy should be the new default. While I was making this series, a woman approached me who'd recently opened up her relationship with her husband and was really struggling with it. 
but they live in a community where polyamory is the norm, and she was feeling a lot of pressure to follow that road. The point is, any norm can be coercive, whether it's monogamy or ethical non-monogamy. We're trying to get rid of the idea that there's a default, not install a new one. It's up to you to pick your path. And look, I'm sorry to say it, but there's no easy option. Choosing monogamy doesn't protect you from your partner sleeping with or falling in love with somebody else. I tell people all the time that if you're with somebody for 50 years and they cheated on you once or twice, they were good at monogamy, not bad at monogamy. And I say that to people not because I want everyone to be in a non-monogamous relationship, but because I want a monogamous relationship to be able to survive the infidelity that touches many, if not most, monogamous relationships. Because a lot of people cheat, a lot of men cheat, a lot of women cheat. The infidelity gap is closed over the last half century as women have become economically more independent. Like, we talk about monogamy the way we talk about virginity. Like, you're a virgin until you have sex with somebody, and then you're not a virgin anymore. You popped your virginity hymen, right? You, you lost your V-card. And there's all sorts of problems with that. But we talk about monogamy in that same way. You're monogamous until you fuck somebody else, and then you popped your monogamy hymen, and you're not monogamous anymore. We should talk about monogamy the way we talk about sobriety. You can fall off the wagon, and then you can sober back up. You can fall off the monogamy wagon, you can sober back up. That, that's one of the advantages of a non-monogamous relationship is you've, you've diffused the bomb that explodes. That said, ethical non-monogamy can't protect you from the possibility of infidelity either. Yeah, surprisingly, cheating does happen in the lifestyle. This is Adam and Ella again. Even though you, we communicate and consent and be okay with doing other people people can still go behind your partner's back. We've known of a couple in the lifestyle who has had an affair and, yeah, everyone kind of knew about it, but it just, yeah, everyone else our, was... Shocked our community, really. Yeah. And everyone else just, it kind of reaffirmed that that's not what we're here for, that's not what happens in this community. You need to make sure that when you go into this, you actually are confident in your own relationship and stuff, and if something comes up, you have the ability to communicate it without just being like, OK, I'll go somewhere else. All of the options are complicated. Because humans are complicated. You can choose ethical non-monogamy in whichever form you prefer, fully aware of the incredible level of communication and scheduling across Google calendars required. Or you can choose monogamy, fully aware that you'll have to juggle the need for safety and security with the need for freedom and adventure. But the choice is up to you. For Todd, polyamory is the right choice. It fits his needs and wants, it fits the stage that he's at in his life, and it's led to incredible connections with a whole lot of people who all add to his happiness and well-being. Huge change. Best change ever. Yeah. So I wonder if that was part of the reason, you know, that our, that, that, that our marriage, you know, didn't survive. Maybe we were just resistant to change. And now I, now, you know, I believe that a relationship should be just as flexible as the people in it. And while he's been exploring flexibility within relationships, Todd's also ended up exploring flexibility with his sexuality. It's still a new thing for me. I think I did have a really homophobic upbringing. And so having some freedom around that is wonderful. Part of the challenge for me is that men on the dating apps are so fucking forward and like, oh, 
oh, you want me to come around and fuck your tight ass right now? Listen, I've... <sighs> so I really... I don't like to have sex with people I don't know. That's not a comfortable space for me. Can we talk for a while first? Yeah, maybe we'll have a cup of coffee. So I'm a bit old-fashioned. What I do like is someone who can teach me something. <laughs> That's the sexiest thing for me, is to learn from someone, yeah. For Adam and Ella, being married to each other and having the occasional hookup with other people is what works for them. They see no reason why they can't have their cake and eat it too. I can go get my big booty blonde on the weekends and you can go get your bigger dick as well. <laughs> like, I don't have any shame in that, but yeah. it's, it's what it is. I can, I can do my useful things and, yeah, dude's got a bigger dick, doesn't worry me. I'm pleasing his wife in other ways. The head massages, they're a big seller. Good with my hands. <laughs> head massages, amazing. It is time to start wrapping up this episode, and Adam and Ella actually have the perfect story for that. Again, it's one that I find weirdly romantic and wholesome. And actually, if there was a rom-com called The Swingers, this would be the happy ending. I've never finished with anyone else but Ella. And, and it's not because it's and a role, it's literally. Like <laughs> but you can't come with anyone I else. I can never come with anyone else, never. And we've, yeah, we've been... We've tried quite hard. Turns out that while Adam might be quite open, his dick is super monogamous. I've tried. I've, I've done many, many different types of things. It, it frustrates me a lot because I've had instances where there was a challenge to get me to come because in our group we all talk about it and they all know that I can never, I only can come for her. So, so they all tried and they all could not, not get there. <laughs> Like a group challenge, we're like, we've got to get them yeah. off. Pretty much. <laughs> they try really hard. It's like, I even have amazement for them because I'm like, you are doing a good job there. So inevitably, at the end of the night, once Ella's been boning for hours and Adam's done socialising and then tried his best to catch up with her on the boning front, bam, bam, bam. they say goodbye and go back to whatever hotel they've booked. And most of the time, they have sex once more, together. Aww. I said in the last episode that I'm not a real believer in hetero marriage. But I was also raised on Disney. And the idea of finding your person and sticking with them through thick and thin is really romantic to me. But there's something really romantic about ethical non-monogamy too. Because you're not together under this illusion that your marriage or your monogamous relationship is a binding contract that will keep you safe forever. You know that you'll probably be attracted to other people, and you're choosing to explore that, but you still return to each other. You're not locked in like the classic ball and chain. You're free to pursue other people who turn you on and fulfill you emotionally, and you still choose to come back to each other. That's pretty cute. Just remember, no matter what path you choose to take, it is your decision. If you're a naturally monogamous person, that is all good. You're not a prude, you're not sex negative or brainwashed or, you know, not more than anybody else's. You're not lame or old-fashioned or vanilla. You just want your one person. I hope you find them. 
If you're not naturally monogamous, I hope you figured that out before you ended up married to somebody who is. And I hope you find people who understand and support and love you, who can help you to flourish and grow into an even more evolved version of yourself. You're not weird or strange or freaky for wanting to do it differently. It's also all good. And whoever you are, whatever path you choose to take, tread carefully. If you trip up, it's okay. It doesn't have to mean the end of the road. You can dust yourself off and get back up again. Just keep communicating, keep checking in, keep your friends close. And remember that no matter what you choose, the most important relationship to look after and be true to is the one you have with yourself. Coming up in the next episode of The Good Sex Project, when splitting up is the best option and not the end of the world. One day I got up and I just drove away. We did a very kind of careful breaking up but not breaking up process. And how endings can make way for new beginnings. If you really want to know what your issues are, start dating. Thank you so much for listening to The Good Sex Project, made with the support of New Zealand On Air. We are on a mission to get this information out to as many people as possible, and you're a big part of that. If you can subscribe, rate, and review us on podcast platforms, that's amazing. But also, tell your friends. Tell strangers. Send it to that one person who you think needs to hear the information. Everybody deserves a good shot at a healthy and happy sex and love life. If you want to get in touch with me or the team, send us a message on Instagram at goodsexproject or email goodsexproject at gmail.com. I love these messages, so please get in touch, especially if you have a story of your own to share. The Good Sex Project was written and developed by me, Melody Thomas. Our producer and audio editor is Kirsten Johnstone from Popsock Media. Phil Brownlee recorded me in the studio, and our sound mix is by Mark Chesterman. The beautiful soundtrack music is by Paddy Fred, with additional music by the Wellington band Womb. Find both of them on Bandcamp. Emile Donovan recorded our incredible content warnings. Thank you, Ehoa. And illustrations for The Good Sex Project are by the incredibly talented Francesca Malis. Engamahi nui to all of the people who put themselves forward to speak about their experiences. You are incredibly generous and brave, and we appreciate it so much. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. At least you've been in it. It's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.
think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I what, think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Okay. Nothing iffy in there. On. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.